have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Roy, hi, you're on the air with Ken Patterson. Hey guys, I love the show. and You know what? I really need to send you some pictures of the projects you guys have helped me complete because We'd love really, to have without them. your help, it, it would never have happened. Great, thank you so much. We'd love to have them too. Who knows, okay. they may wind up on on my website. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. And Ken, it's very rare that something I read actually, wow, that really surprises me. But I stumbled on something recently, and I said, maybe this would be a good issue for us to talk about. And it was in a weekend newspaper circular, and it talked about the fact that November, the month we are in right now, is the best time to get a new roof. You know, actually, every month is the best time to buy something. And I say that not just to echo what you're talking about, which is an article in USA Weekend, but also as a professional out there. We know there are certain times of the year when there are more bargains available to us, when products are more readily available, when the service industry that installs these products happens to be a little slow. And knowing these things can save you thousands of dollars in any renovation or maintenance item that you have around your home. First, let's talk a little bit about roofing since you bring that up, Jim. When we talk about roofing, we typically think about it when we're in the middle of the summer, we have heavy rains, and our roof is leaking, or in the depth of the winter when we've got an ice dam somewhere and and water's backing up under the shingles, or in the metal roofing, and we've got a leak we're dealing with. That is not the time to think about replacing your roofing. So let me give you some indicators, some things that would be best for you. If you know you are in need of a roof, if you've been patching this roof for some time, you may want to think about the month of November. Yes, I said November. And for most of you in our listening area, it's not so cold at that point that you have an issue with it. For a few of you very far north or maybe in the Midwest, if you're dealing with snow, October would be a better month because that's the end of the construction season, if you will. But for the majority of our listeners, November is a great month to be buying roofing. It's not so cold that the shingles will not seal. It is cold enough, though, if you're starting to get into the fall of the year where many of the suppliers and manufacturers, they have higher inventories because they're slowing down on their sales, and the people that install also have a little less work to do, and they want to keep their crews busy. So it works well for the installers, for the wholesalers. It works well for the shingle. It's still warm enough. The sun's high enough that those tabs on the bottom will seal and will stick the top shingle to the bottom uh, like it's supposed to to keep strong winds from blowing snow and or water up underneath those. So November can be a great time to get out in the marketplace and think about replacing any type of roof that you have. So keep that in mind. If you're not ready for one this year, but you know in the next year or two you've got a roof coming up, November could be your best opportunity to save some dollars. Always be sure and shop around and obtain at least three bids on those items. Now let's talk about some other seasonal buys, if you will. Heating and air conditioning systems. I have questions on this constantly throughout the year. And as a professional, and also you'll see this published by other uh, people that do research, about.com, and so many others out there, that when we look at air conditioning, again, we only think about it when it doesn't work. When we need heating, it's only when it doesn't work. So if you know you have an older system, if you know that you are looking to replace that sometime in the near future, look at one of these two seasons. 
the best of those for prices and for service will be the early spring and will be the early fall. Reason being is we've got a window in there where most of us typically don't need a lot of cooling. We don't need a lot of heating. The air conditioning and heating companies are a little on the slow side at that point. And again, inventories from manufacturers tend to back up just a little bit. So not only may you, you might have an opportunity to obtain better pricing, but you're going to get quicker service than if you wait until August when everybody's melting and you're trying to buy a new AC unit. Also, the other thing to keep in mind, if you are out shopping for a new air conditioning or heating system, check with your local power companies. Be sure that uh, they either, if they do, they may offer a rebate of some sort, an energy rebate for buying an Energy Star system. So be sure you have checked with them in that regard and get the amount in writing. Most of them have it online. And many power companies do offer rebates from about $200 up to $700 or $800. I've experienced this personally. Believe me. It's free money. You just need to check and file the proper papers and be sure you're purchasing the a system that is Energy Star rated. Also, if you're buying new air conditioning or you're shopping around, check with those major manufacturers. Many of the producers of equipment such as Carrier, Linux, Train, York, and we can go on and on, will also offer direct factory rebates depending on the time of year when you're buying equipment. So if it tends to be a slower season, they have an older model. This year's model has been sold out, basically. They've got a few sitting in inventory. If you want to buy one at the end of the year and they're coming out with the new ones the first of the year, maybe now's a good time to look at those factory rebates that are available to you as well. Also, for your particular state, there are still not many, but there's still a few tax credits lingering here and there. So check with your state and see if there are any tax credits available for certain types of air conditioning and heating equipment. Now, one more item, just regarding our interiors, as far as something we live with every day, that's our flooring. How about carpet, hardwood floor, ceramic tile? There really is a season for buying that. And according to Alan Fletcher, who is a carpet expert and a consumer advocate, Alan spent more than 30 years in the carpet industry from the wholesale standpoint to install. He says these are the best times for us to be purchasing carpet. And I'll tell you as a builder, I tend to agree. I see this when I'm buying products for my customers. He goes on to say that around December 15th, we all know we're all in the middle of Christmas season. Christmas trees are up. We're dealing with holiday shopping. So he suggests that buying after December 15th is a great time to be out there shopping for carpet and floor covering. He says the window of opportunity lasts through July 31st, and by February 15th, new shoppers are in the market because some of those tax refunds are being received, and people are out there saying, I'm buying new floor covering, new carpet, new tile, whatever for the house. So that's a, a tight window from somewhere around December 15th up through January 31st if you're looking for new carpet. There's also a second slow season when it comes to carpet buying. And, again, all of these I've experienced as a professional builder. May 1st to June 30th, that's because we're nearing the end of the school season. People are planning vacations. They're looking to get out of the house, get out of town, and get out on the road for vacation. They are not interested in buying carpet. So that's also another great opportunity for you to consider. And I guess the last item that I'd bring to you will be refrigerators and large appliances. Yes, there's a buying season for that. Probably for one of the best deals you'll make, you want to think about buying those in the month of May. And that's because most new appliances, the new model year, tend to be rolled out in June and July. So you'll find some year-end items sitting on the floor in inventory. You'll also find merchandise folks ready to do a little bit of bargaining with you that they may not other times of the year. Keep those in mind. Save some dollars. 
And again, if you're on more information, as always, you can check out more details at our website. And we do encourage you to check out Ken's website, which is KenTheContractor.com. You'll find Ken's toolbox right on the front page, and that has some of the more popular topics and some of the things that we talk about a lot, many of them reflected in the information Ken just talked about, whether it's roofs, basements, windows, plumbing, siding, buying and selling, uh, also accessibility, heating, masonry, and leaks. It's all available on the web at our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. A house is what you build. A home is what you make it. Coming up in uh, this hour of Ken the Contractor, Ken will be answering your questions. Again, there's a couple different ways you can interact with the show. Email your questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com or give us a call at 800-614-2975. Quick break and back with more. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who's designed and built a multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects as well as single family homes up and down the East Coast. And he now brings his years of experience to the radio and the Internet to help you deal with issues that are important to today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. And Ken, we've had some uh, very severe weather on the eastern seaboard with, of course, uh, the uh, hurricane that came through and also some other very very heavy rains we've got two of our listeners who have some issues with water in their basement and probably the most severe is ed he's in vineland new jersey he's got to start over it sounds like well i don't know that he's starting over in terms of a new house there are people much worse off but ed has some issues because as i look at his email doesn't have any flood insurance said our single story home survived the wind pretty much some damage but the house was flooded two to three feet deep I do not know where to start, he says. He said, I don't have flood insurance and must do the repairs on my own. The water is gone, and I have a mess. How much do I need to tear out, and what can I salvage? Is there anyone locally that might help at least offer pointers that will not charge me a fortune? Well, Ed, I'm I'm sorry for your loss. I'm certainly sorry that you've had the issues and damage that you have. You're right there with millions of people up and down the East Coast and even many as you move inland because of snow and ice as a result of the recent storm. But I do want to offer a few pointers to you. And having no insurance, hopefully you are at least a jack-of-all-trades or able to take care of much of this. One of the first things that any of us need to do when it comes to flood damage, whether it's your basement or whether it happens to be your main living level, is get this place dried out as quickly as possible. If there's any good news, to me as a builder, this time of year is is helpful in that we, especially where you are, Ed, in Vineland, New Jersey, that the temperature is not as hot as if this has been a summer hurricane coming in in June or July with extremely hot temperatures during that time period, which means it's, a, it's going to be a little slower process for mold and mildew to develop, but it's certainly going to, and it will develop fairly rapidly, just not as rapid as summer months. So the very first thing, and I won't have time to go through all of this, I'm going to offer some direction to you and your community for help, but the bottom line is, Things you can do, assuming that your power is still off, and I I have to make that assumption because in your region so many people are without power, still millions, that you need to get all of the water out. You need to go through and cut the drywall out at least up to the point that the water table was, the high water level in there. You need to remove all of that. It is not going to dry on its own. You're going to have mold and mildew develop in there. You're going to have issues that you can't live with. It's an unsafe home. It's not only the mold that will develop, but it's also the contaminants that was in all the flood water that was in there, everything from gas to diesel to raw sewage. If you could name it, it was in that water. So you've got all kinds of bacteria and other things that are not going to be healthy for 
for you. These are some basics. Pull up the carpet, pull up the flooring. If you've got uh, certainly cabinets on a lower level, if this was all one level, your cabinets need to go. A lot of things you can do to gut this yourself and to allow the structure to start drying out pretty rapidly. Ultimately, this will have to be disinfected. Then you're going to have to go back and look at the rebuild. Now, as far as some pointers in your area, I want to suggest to you, one that you can talk to your local building department about people that are offering some assistance. There are many groups scattered up and down the East Coast from your local builders association. NAHB, the National Association of Home Builders, has affiliates in all states and almost all major cities in the country, and I know they do in Vineland. Contact your local builders association. Talk to the building department. There are going to be people there that certainly will be available to give you some pointers on what you can do on your own, when and where you need some help. And these are folks that aren't trying to sell you anything. These are people simply there to help because they're part of the disaster relief team and they're trying to do what they can for their communities. So give those folks a call where you need pointers. But right now the main thing you need to do is get all of the trash, the wet materials, the debris outside and start drying that house out so that you can preserve as much as possible. And when these types of situations, there's very little you can save once it gets wet, correct? Almost nothing. I mean, almost nothing. Again, it's not just the water. If this were pure water, if you had a swimming pool overflow, for example, and it drained into an area lower than where the pool sits, that's one thing. That's chlorinated water for the most part. But look at the contaminants that are here. Uh, the other email uh, that we've got comes to us uh, from Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, and this one is about water that's basically, Ken, coming up right through the basement floor. We hear this quite a bit from folks. Yeah, and this is completely different than the email we just addressed out of New Jersey. Kathy writes to us from Reading, says, I've lived in my house for nine years. I've seen a number of bad storms, and Sandy was one of them. However, this is the first time that I've had this particular problem. I have a partially flooded, unfinished basement. So she's given me some good information there. Said when the water started coming in, it came up through the concrete floor around the walls where the two concrete floor sections meet. So I'm assuming that this is a basement that has at least a coal joint somewhere in that slab where two sections were poured together. And she's talking about water coming up through that crack and around the perimeter to means where the, to me means where the concrete abuts the walls of the basement. First, she says, what causes this and how can I prevent it in the future? Well, Kathy, for you, I guess if there's any good news is that you have an unfinished basement. That solves a lot of problems for you. You need to get the water out. No doubt there's probably some sand or muck that has developed as this water silts or works its way up through and around the slab. Pretty easy for you to deal with there. And whether you've got concrete walls, stone walls, or block walls, you can easily wash those down, pump that water out, and then disinfect the area, and then you can go on about your life. But it's good that you raise the question. First, what causes it's really hydrostatic pressure. It means the water table has come up around your house to the point that that water can't be relieved any other way. It's not getting, it's not moving horizontally. It's not able to get into a footing drain. If you have one, if you have a basement sump pump, that sump is not strong enough or powerful enough, doesn't pump enough gallons per minute to relieve the water that's accumulating under the slab. So what's happening is this water, just the sheer pressure of it, is forcing the water to come up around the slab and through any cracks or coal joints in that slab. And frankly, if it were strong enough, it could cause some upheaval. It could actually cause that slab to raise up at a weakened point. And you haven't described that, so hopefully you don't have that situation. But the bottom line here is, one, if you have foundation drains, you need to check and be sure those are open for you and everyone that has them. Always check these several times a year. Be sure they haven't silted in as you cut the grass, leaves in the fall. 
kids playing with them, you know, a baseball being stuffed in one of them, those type things that can happen, animals that build nests in them. I've seen all kinds of things. Be sure the outlets to those drains, if they work by gravity, are always open and you know where they are. Secondly, if you have that and a pump or just a pump, you want to physically inspect your pump on a regular basis. I have relatives that have a pump, and I tell them, I say, you want to check this at least once a month. You want to be sure the float is not stuck. You want to be sure that there's not some blockage in the inlet pipe. You want to be sure there's nothing blocking the bottom of that sump pump so that it can do what it's supposed to, as well as the discharge side. And you want to be sure you've got a power supply. You're saying, that's great. We lost power. You need to have a battery backup, and there are multiple types of battery backups that will provide power for a matter of two or three hours, six or eight hours. I've installed these commercially, and they're available for those of you at a reasonable price that have uh, homes as well. And, you know, to an extreme, if you're in an area, Kathy, that experiences power failure pretty frequently, you might want to consider at least a small portable generator that would do nothing else and maybe power this pump and refrigerator. But that's the cause of the water issue that you have. You need to be sure, if you've never had it before, that suddenly your drains haven't been clogged up, or be sure that pump was working. Now, that's the water in just some of the images that we've seen over the course of the last 10 days or so. It is just incredible, and you've talked about this before on the program. We don't realize the power of water and where it goes when it's not supposed to go into places and other things like that, exceedingly difficult to deal with. It has far more force than most any of us can imagine unless you've lived through it. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? You can always reach Ken by dialing this number, 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Also, you can email your questions to Ken at KenTheContractor.com. You can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor, along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt. If you'd like to reach Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. We'll go back to the phones in just a moment. But first, I'm going to deal with uh, some issues relating to green building. You know, and green building does not always involve buying new products. In many cases, we're talking about repurposing existing products or revamping, remodeling what we have rather than taking it out, hauling it to the landfill, and then creating an impact on our hardwoods, our forest areas, our other natural resources, and bringing something new in. One of those things that I know can be a nuisance to all of us, and I've talked to enough people to understand this firsthand, that is the bifold doors in our home. Bifold doors are not quite as popular today as they were over a period of about 20 years when they seem to go in just about every single home that was built across this country. And an awful lot of you saying, I hate bifold doors. That's what I have been told. But in this green building segment, we're going to talk a little bit about how to repurpose or fix those bifold doors and actually make them look a little different and perform better for you. Just said, we, I know from experience and talking to many people, they can be an eyesore. But the simplest and least expensive option you have on these doors, not unlike others, if you want to just change the look, can be as simple as paint. You say, well, we paint from time to time. That's not a big deal. But what I really want to talk about is how you can change the look of those. Once you have the opportunity to replace not only the surface hardware that you see on the door, but also applying solid cover. If you've got a louvered door or a panel door, and most are, some of you are sitting there with solid doors right now, but if they're louvered or panel doors, Many people around the country are covering those with simple sheets of Luon and putting wall covering on or painting so they blend in with the decor of the room. They're also creating some accent features. If the door and hardware is sturdy enough, they're placing mirrors over these because today a lot of people are replacing them with mirrored doors. 
to expand the room. If you've got a small room, a wall of mirrors like that in a room typically makes it look a little deeper. It also reflects more sunlight. If you've got natural light coming in through windows, it'll make a room brighter. So we're seeing people repurpose these doors. They still have the same function, still give you access for storage, but it allows you to change the complete look of that. One other issue that deals with green building and these bifold doors that so many people have complained to me about over the decades, the way the manufacturers make them, is they're sent with very limited hardware. They pop off the track at the top. Uh. You know, they don't, they don't align at the bottom. So I do want you to know that there's replacement hardware available and it's available in different, how should I say this? I guess not just gauges, but levels. So if you've got kids that are opening these things and really slamming them back against the wall and they're constantly popping off, the springs are coming out, you can buy more heavy duty hardware. But one of the things I want to suggest to you to keep them properly aligned and especially if you have younger children, is that you might want to consider adding a track to the bottom because they do make tracks that keep them perfectly aligned with the top, and you'll find you're pretty hard-pressed to have them bounce off the track at that point. So for green building today, we're talking about repurposing and what you can do with those old bifold doors that you think are a nuisance rather than scrapping them out, spending a bunch of money to buy new. There is hope for you, and you'll be doing your part to go green. We've got uh, two of those in the uh, walk-in closet in our bedroom that one has been off the track for I don't know how many years. It is simply folded up and laid against one wall <laughs> behind the bedroom door, and the other one is permanently open. So the closet's easy to access yeah. is what I hear you say, <laughs> and you is. know what's in that closet at all times. Uh, we do. <laughs> the, the other problem is, though, when these things come off the track, uh, we had at a Super Bowl party one year a lot of very qualified technical people. You would think we were trying to bring Apollo 13 home safely. <laughs> I have never seen that many people work on something that I didn't think was that difficult. It was a pain. I can tell you Jim's eyes and face lit up when I got into this green building segment. I always know when I touched on a nerve here. He doesn't see these segments in advance, but I knew this one was going to come home, folks. Yeah. All right, let's go to the phones at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. It's Judy who's with us. Judy, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Thank you for taking my call, Ken. No, I've heard you say that if you want to save energy, um, you need to put your ceiling fan in a reverse position for winter. How do you do that? How do you know you're going in the right direction? And, and exactly how do you do it? Okay, well, that's a great question because there are many types of fans that our listeners may have in their ceiling right now or be in the process of purchasing. Almost all Modern fans, and I'll say modern in the last 10 years or so, have a switch on them for a reverse cycle. Typically, in fact, I've never encountered one that is not wired this way. If the, the switch, and it's normally a black switch, a white switch, is on the side of the fan housing, if the switch is in the down position, then the fan is going to be blowing the air downward which you, that's where you want it in the warmer or the cooler months. You want to be blowing that air across you. If you put that switch in the up position, the vertical position, all the way to its top position, that's going to change the direction of the fan blades. It will rotate backwards and will blow the air up on the ceiling. And as I've said many times on the show, the reason you want to do that is in the wintertime, all your hot air rises. You want to force that hot air back to the ground, and it does that in the reverse cycle. You'll find, I've measured this with digital thermometers, there could be as much as a 5-degree temperature difference depending on your ceiling height from the area, the level you sit at, which is around 20 inches, 19, 20 inches is a chair height, versus what you may have up at, say, a 9, 10-foot ceiling. That's huge in a home, 5 degrees, especially when you've paid to create that energy. So remember, in the newer fans, 
you want to be sure that that switch is in the up position in the winter, it's in the down position in the summer or the warmer months uh, so that you can blow air across you. And for those of you with older fans out there, you may not find they are reversible. They've made fans many, many years before they realized they could create some energy efficiency in this fashion. They would only blow the air downward, and you're going to have issues with that. You may need to replace the fan. Now, there are also others saying, I can't reach that. I've got a ceiling that's 10 feet high. That's where my fan is, or it's at 9 feet. I just can't reach that. How do I do it? If you're installing new fixtures or new fans, you may want to find one that has a remote control. There are also some retrofit kits available for existing ceiling fans that will allow you to control it with a remote, just like your TV, your garage door operator that allows you to change directions of that. And for those of you, too, that, you know, Judy, for you and others that may say, well, how do I know for sure that it's going in the right direction, short of looking at it, and that might be difficult, I'll give you a couple of hints. One in the, the downward cycle, meaning the normal cycle where air is coming across us, that fan usually has either variable speeds or at least three speeds, and you will feel it. In high speed, it has a very substantial RPMs, so that air is moving across you with some degree of, of speed, and it's going to move your hair and papers on the desk or table. In the up position, the reverse cycle, it moves very slowly. And you don't have all the speed options with that. So it will move very, very slow, just enough to get that air off the ceiling and back down, and you don't feel any air movement across you. So that's always a good way to tell, just at a, at a feel, walking through the room, is, is that switch up or is it down, even if you can't see it. So it gives you a few things to work with, but it really saves money. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's great information. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Judy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Judy. And don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. And then cold weather starting to move in, uh, particularly for those of us here on the East Coast, Ken. And I know more and more people are utilizing those ceiling fans. I'm seeing them in more homes than probably ever before. I've had people basically argue with me that there's no way they're saving energy by using a fan in the wintertime when they think the power of everything possible should be off, and especially when it comes to a fan. That's the reason I could speak to Judy and say I have had to prove this to people with digital thermometers, the temperature difference from the ceiling to the area that we move around our homes in, and it is phenomenal. Again, we have paid to create that heat. Why have it on the ceiling when we need it back where we are? And the energy companies have endorsed this since the oil crisis of the 70s. If you'd like to be part of the program, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. A house is what you build. A home is what you make it. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. This is Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here every weekend at this time answering the questions that are important to today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to the website kenthecontractor.com. And you can also, by calling that number, 800-614-2975, you can voicemail your questions to Ken. And this is one from Cal. He wants to talk about garbage disposals. I'm in the process of buying a new garbage disposal. I go to the store, they have three or four kinds. I was just wondering probably which would be the best uh, type, uh, whether it would be galvanized blades, stainless steel blades, uh, what horsepower, or uh, things of that nature. I appreciate your answer. Thank you. And it's always amazing when we go to purchase something we think is quite simple and we find now all these options are laid out in front of us. 
when he just wants a garbage disposal. It's really that simple. But manufacturers cater to all of us in all kinds of ways. And he brought up some things for us to think a little bit about. Talked about whether they're, they've got a galvanized base to them, whether they're chrome covered, whether they're stainless steel. Do they have one blade? Do they have two? Are they a third horsepower, a half horsepower, three quarter, or one horsepower? And they really run the gamut. There are so many manufacturers out there that we can't even sit here and talk about all of those. But just to give all of you some pointers, when it comes to buying not just garbage disposals, but other appliances in your home, to me, the first thing that's most important is how you how you use it and how often you use it and how long you intend to maintain the home and the environment that you're in. Let's deal specifically with the garbage disposals. They said they start out perhaps at around a third horsepower, and for residential use, they'll run up to typically one. You get into the commercial world, you're in a horse and a half, you can get into two, but most of you aren't operating a school cafeteria. The, bo- the bottom line here is that look at your money, look at how you use it. I would, If I'm going to be there long term, I'm going to want something that's fairly quiet. Some The cheaper ones will make a great deal of noise. They're not well insulated. You're going to be into some basic blades. They may not be as hard, which means they may wear quicker if you're going to have extensive use. So if you're looking to stay in the house, assuming you are for a reasonable period of time, I would be looking at a basic unit, one that's going to have stainless steel in it so that I don't worry about rusting. I'm going to be sure that I at least have the, the stainless when it comes to uh, the, the working mechanism. I also want to have a little more insulation because I don't want to have a great deal of noise uh, in the kitchen or other areas that could be susceptible to hearing this when it's being used. And I also want to look at the volume of trash or kitchen waste that I'm putting down that. Now, in all cases, I want to remind everybody, you don't want to be dumping grease down these things, and you also don't want to be putting bones down them. And there are a few other items that shouldn't go down them, but those are some critical things there. And if you're on a septic tank, you want to pay particular attention to that versus just domestic sewer, although you pretty much want to follow the same instructions with both. So the bottom line is look at your budget, look at the noise level, look at how long you intend to stay in the house, and also consider how much food waste you're putting down. There's a lot of people that are gardening are composting much of it, uh, and you may have very little that goes down. And I know some people that almost never use a garbage disposal, so there'd be no reason to spend $250 for a disposal that you turn on half a dozen times a year if you can go spend 100 and it does the same thing for you on those few occasions when you do use it. So at least that offers some pointers. I think you have to figure out what works best for you, but take all of these items and put them on your list and say, now, how much money am I willing to spend because of these particular needs? Very good. Cal, hope that helps you out. Don't forget, you can forward your questions to Ken in a voicemail form at 800-614-2975. Time now for the App of the Week. All right, I'm telling you, I'm always looking for things that make life easier for everybody in the building, remodel, and even the hobby business. And this happens to be one for those of you that are involved heavily in making product selections as well as um, maybe doing some measuring and doing your own planning. And this is called Handyman DIY, and it's by Wowser Software. This particular app happens to cost $1.99, though. This one's not free, and it's a feature. It, this particular app is, is feature-packed. It's a home improvement planner designer actually to assist you. It's called a planner and designer to assist you in renovating your home by providing information you need to complete any new or renovation project. You need to find out how much paint you need. How about flooring or trim? All you have to do are enter your room measurements, and the rest is left up to the handyman DIY. It does the math for you. Also, anyone can be a home improvement guru with this particular handyman DIY detailed information because they've got videos, folks. That's the other thing. It tells those of you that are do-it-yourselfers how to do so many of these simple 
day-to-day tasks that occur around our homes. And that's one thing I liked about this particularly is for people that aren't experienced at it but are brave enough and say, hey, I'm going to charge out there and do my own work, these videos can be very helpful to you. So take a listen. Look it up. Handyman DIY by Wowser Software. It's a buck ninety-nine. Very good. And you can check out all the different apps by going to our website, KenTheContractor.com, and you'll see the icon. Just click right on the front page to App of the Week to take a look at some of the apps that we've talked about in recent programs. Got time for one more email, and this is from Justin in West Virginia, Ken, and he's got a problem with his chimney. Yeah, he says it's getting cold and we've had snow thanks to Sandy. He said, I've used the old fireplace several times in the last few weeks. I had a backdraft issue this past Saturday and looked up in the chimney and noticed daylight coming through the side of the brick and flue. I think this is my problem. Is there a quick fix? Well, first off, Justin, I'm glad you did this because any penetration we have in the firebox where the smoke shelf may be or up in the chimney is a fire hazard. And the fact that you're able to see daylight coming through from the outside tells me you've got a hole not only through the brick but also also through that flue liner. You have two elements to deal with. One, first and foremost, is the fire safety. And if this is not something you can do on your own, and I don't recommend it for most people unless they're experts in chimney repairs, you want to get with a chimney sweep or a chimney repair company and have them insert some type of a liner that is proper and approved to make your fi- to go ahead and continue using your fireplace for your heat during the winter. So they can drop a liner in from the top without having to tear all this down and start over. Secondly, you want to be sure that you've eliminated water from coming in on the outside because it can freeze, expand, knock off the brick, the stone, whatever the outside veneer is, and create a greater problem as you go through the winter and create more fire hazards. That can be handled a little more easily even in cold climates with products that QuickCrete and others manufacture that's an exterior mortar caulk or a mortar fill. So there are several things available for you. So I want you to be sure you've addressed both of those, starting with the liner so that you have no fire issue whatsoever. I'm glad that you sent us the email. More importantly, I'm happy you had that backdraft because it forced you to look up in that chimney. You know, it's something interesting that I came across with some of the new and different styles that people are using for their chimneys. You have the traditional chimney that I think we've all seen, but some, and one of the ones that caught my attention online, was one that almost looked like a bell tower. Yeah, the styles are so unique, but that's more about the architectural component. Fireplaces and chimneys are still designed to do two key things. First and foremost, throw the heat into the room that you're trying to heat. And secondly, exhaust the harmful fumes and smoke vertically. And you can do that through different shapes. But it's there's really an art to building a fireplace. And for people that would come in and tear things apart and modify it that don't know what they're doing, you could be asking for trouble. But you're right. When it comes to design, the sky is the limit. Yeah, maybe in your pocketbook. Yeah, and I uh, saw one of the older ones when I was traveling through central Pennsylvania recently that just really stood out. And you said it wasn't that uncommon, uh, but the uh, the older home with four chimneys in it. Yeah, when fireplaces were the primary heat source, we still see that in older homes today. It's rare that they're built that way, but those chimneys may be offset to the firebox, and what they're doing is taking a fireblock box that's stacked floor to floor in a bedroom, a living room, and they're venting it through the same chimney, and then they may move that to the other corner of the house and do the same. So you've got two chimneys on each side of the house, total of four, but you're heating up and down every single room. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? You can reach Ken at 800 600 1-4-2-9-7-5, and that'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor. Don't forget, if you have a question for Ken, give him a call at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to KenTheContractor.com.
You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.